0: All God's people say. Amen. Amen. We're going to let the uh, children be dismissed. And I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Book of Galatians, <clears throat> chapter 5. A couple more verses left in our series called Grounded. And uh, the one that I want to go to today is found in Galatians 5. It's verse 16. We're going to set this up in context and then we will. Uh, discuss that verse in a more complete fashion. Galatians chapter 5, I want to begin reading in verse 16. And 16 is the key verse, and we're just going to set context and kind of amplify this verse, kind of magnify this verse in its biblical context. Verse 16 of of Galatians 5, Paul says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are, and it becomes very evident, doesn't it? They are in conflict with each other, and that's a battle that occurs within every individual. They are in conflict with each other so that you cannot do what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, You are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And then he goes through a list that I'll touch base on later. Verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So you you find this this constant contrast that is set up in this text. If you try it on your own, you'll fail. If by the power of the Spirit of God you try it, you will succeed. Okay, so you're going to find this play, if you will, back and forth, set up in the context of various contrasts. This morning as you come to the house of God, you, you, you may be a seeker. You may be an, an invited by a friend. I know some of you were invited by some friends to come and be with us today. Some of you may attend here, or I know some of you attend here on a regular basis. Okay, but you're here. Okay, and you're here with certain expectations. Some of us come because life has been so hard and difficult. Some of us come with, a, with almost tinged with pessimism. We want things to be better. We hope things can be better. But we don't really believe that things can be better. Just being honest. And some of us come having tasted of the work of the Spirit of God in their lives, knowing that God has worked very powerfully in their lives. They've experienced change. God has defeated sin in their lives. God has brought them to places of victory. God has allowed them to see things done that they can't take credit for. And so if if I was going to put a word over their life, I would say that they they come with optimism, with, with hope. Not because their life is perfect. Not because they batted a thousand this week. But because they have seen evidence of God at work and they want to see more evidence of God at work in their life. They're not proud because what has happened, what has been accomplished, the transformation that has taken place is not owing simply to good decisions that they have made. It is owing to something that they recognize and know to be the work of God. They realize they're not that good, but that they have done things that are and experienced things that are good and in fact beyond their personal ability. And they come with a sense of hope that I would love to know more of God. I would love to experience a greater fullness of the Spirit of God in my life so that I can continue to do the things that I in truth I'm unable to do. Some come asking the question, can I experience change? Sustained, lasting, measurable, measurable progress. Can I truly have victory in my life? Can my marriage really change? Can this habit that has haunted me really be broken? Can I experience victory and freedom and the joy that comes with that? Well, our case study on this topic comes in the midst of a church. There's a there's a context here the church is the church in Galatia. And a- as you think about this church in chapter 5 we find a few what I would call biographical notes. Statements that give us some indication of what's going on in the church of Galatia. Okay? It is a church that has problems. Okay? This is a letter by and large that is corrective in its nature. It is it is in many ways a confrontation of a drift that is taking place in the church. And folks understand this. All of us go through that in our lives, don't we? Times where we are walking with the Lord in step. And times where we're like Tim Hof trying to learn to dance. Okay? Stepping all over each other's feet, not getting virtually anything right. And it's a struggle. It's 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 disconcerting. It makes us wonder if it's really even worth putting the effort into it. Okay, I've concluded that my efforts in dancing fail. Okay? I'm not good at it. I enjoy it. But if you ever watch me, you know that he, he doesn't know what he's doing. Okay? So I'm not very optimistic when it comes to those things. But I am optimistic when it comes to how you can do if you walk in the Spirit. And that's what I want to address this morning. It's what this text goes after. Paul's writing to a church that is experiencing two types of struggles. Okay? One is a theological struggle. And the theological struggle is this. It is a struggle with people in the context of the church who believe that they're standing with God is secured based upon their performance. That that their status with God, that the love of God for them is earned by living a good life, by having the right set of rules. Okay, So we would say that the theological problem in the church of Galatia was in fact a problem with understanding the true nature of the Gospel and how it is truly and in fact completely free. The means by which God redeems and delivers His people. So there was a in the theological level, a distorting of the glorious gospel, saying that you have to pay God in order to get favor from God, when the true gospel is, no, it is all of grace. And it is a gift from God. So in verse 7, Paul makes this statement of chapter 5. He says, you were running a good race. Meaning, he could look back on the history of the church in Galatia and say, what? You guys were doing great. You were stellar performers. And in a sense, here's what he's going to say. What happened? You came to trust in the glorious gospel and now you're drifting back towards a very religious mindset that says that people that do these kinds of things have a greater love from God and people who don't do these kinds of things experience a, great, experience a greater love from God. A legalistic perspective that says that my relationship with God is based upon how well I did this week. And Paul's question simply is this. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Who? 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 Who kind of inched into your life and started teaching you things that destroy the gospel of grace and cause you to believe that your standing with God is earned by your performance? That's the question he's asking. The second question he deals with is practical because it flows out of that. Okay, if you believe that your standing with God is a result of your effort, you will not live by the Spirit. You'll live by your personal effort. You'll believe that your accomplishments in the Christian life are going to be completely a result of the effort that you are putting forward. And, and the mindset becomes this. The harder you try, the better you're going to do in your walk with Christ. Okay, And Paul knows that that idea of everything that happens in the Christian life is a result of my effort will ultimately lead, ultimately lead to pessimism. To a dark view of your Christian experience. Why? I'm a failure. When I try to keep the law of God, guess what I find? I find that I can't do it. That I desperately need the help of God. So what's Paul going to argue for? Paul's going to argue for the fact that yes, hey, I just found my Bible. Where's my, is my wife in here? I lost this last Sunday, and I'm like, where is my Bible? Praise God. I found my Bible. It's a good day. Sorry about that. I've loved sure, I was in this building two times saying, I know I had it there. And I was right. I love what I'm right. Okay, so what's Paul's attitude in, in the verse that I want to focus her attention on this morning, okay? And I think what Paul's attitude towards legalism is, don't try to do it in your flesh. And his attitude, because that will produce pessimism. You try, try to change your marriage by decisions that you make. You will be, you, what, what will you experience? You will experience temporary success, but you will not experience transformation. Okay, you will experience external changes in how you address your wife. The tone of your voice. The attitude with which you speak. But what does God want to do? God wants to change your heart so that what begins to flow out towards your mate is a result of God's transforming grace. That the Spirit of God has so worked that my relationship with my wife has changed. Not because I chose to change it by sheer will. That will produce pessimism. Why? I'm always going to drift back to the old habits because it's who I am. The way that I experience true change is God changes who I am from the inside. And then what comes out of my life brings honor and glory to Him. I heard this illustration in our Sunday school class on marriage back in the fall. A guy talked about taking a water bottle. okay, took the lid off it and he hit the water bottle. And what happened when he hit the water bottle without a lid on it? What happened? Water came out, right? He asked this question then. Why did water come out of the bottle? Okay, what's the answer? Why did water splash out of the bottle when the bottle was banged? Because water's inside the bottle. Okay, you know, most of us said, well, he hit it really hard. It's the angle at which you hit it. No, the reason water comes out of a, of a bottle when you shake it without a cap on it is because water's inside. So what do we find in our marriages? What do we find in our lives? What do we find in our work experiences? A lot of times we find garbage coming out. Why? Because garbage is what's on the inside. Okay, and what Paul's going to argue for is this. Paul's going to say to the church in in Galatia, I can become an optimist for you, a difficult, stubborn church. Okay, and you you can go to verses, and I'll just, just read these for you real quickly. Verses 13 through 15. Look at this statement that Paul makes to this church, because what you're going to find is they're being jostled by the pressures of life, and what's coming out in the church is garbage, Okay, and Paul does not say, stop doing that. You know what Paul says? Flee to the Spirit of God. Notice what he says, you, my brothers, verse 13, were called to be free. From what? From the enslavement of sin, from bad attitudes, from strife and struggle and conflict and all the things that are very typical in the world that we live in. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love the entire law can be summed up in a command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if I stopped and said to you, how many of you find within yourself that law arising? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, that's the dominant thought that I have in my life. Okay, in every circumstance, every conflict, whenever I'm cut off on the road, whenever someone steals from me, the immediate, you know the responsibility is love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, the law that emerges. No, you know what the law is that emerges from my heart? It's conflict. It's a desire to get even. You can't do that to me. And what Paul's going to argue in this text is that the church in in, in Galatia has been infected with something. Verse 15, he says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other. Okay, now why would he say that? Because it's what's present. Okay, it's a church that he loves. He shared the gospel with them. They were converted, changed, but ugly things are starting to creep up in the church. So what does Paul do? He steps in to address those issues. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, you will be destroyed by each other. So what is Paul saying? If you continue on in the flesh, I have a very pessimistic view of what will happen in your lives. And folks, here I believe is the biblical truth. If you are striving to live the supernatural Christian life in human strength, I will become very pessimistic about the outcomes that you experience. So what does Paul then do? Okay, and this is where the transition, this is why I think the the context becomes so important. When you go to verse 16, notice what he does. Okay, after addressing theological and practical issues in the church, he comes to a promise. Okay, and the promise is meant to do what? Why does someone give you a promise? Somebody gives you a promise to promote optimism in your heart. To promote the thought that things will get better, that things are going to change. And so in verse 16, Paul gives them, if you will, this, a a promise about what's going on in their lives. He says, so I say, in light of what? In light of the garbage that is present in your lives. Uh, So, in light of that, I say to you, and this is the verse I would encourage you to memorize, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Alright, live by. By the Spirit. And and I'll, I'll, I'll plug into what I think that means in a few moments. Okay? So there's a promise here that is decidedly optimistic because it is not rooted in what Paul believes the people of Galatia can do. He just told you what they can do. And they're very aware of what they can do. What is Paul telling them? Paul's telling them what God can do. Okay, do you ever get sick of yourself? I do. I get sick of the attitudes that pop out of my heart and then out of my mouth. I am shocked by them. You get sick of yourself. You know what Paul's saying to the church? You guys should be sick of yourself. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not continue to do what verse 15 talked about the desires of the flesh. Okay, so this verse fundamentally, is a promise that is decidedly optimistic because it focuses its attention on what God can do in the life of surrendered believers. Satan has a lie that binds many people and it is in contrast to this promise. Satan's lie is, you keep trying, but you'll never get better. You keep working at it, but you'll never experience progress. And you know what happens? because we get beaten down by the seasons of life, we begin to believe the lie. And what is Satan doing? Satan is simply doing this. He's sowing the seeds of doubt in your mind, hoping that they will spring forth into frustration and pessimism in your life and leave you as a crippled believer who doesn't know anything of the power of God in his or her life. And I believe Paul in this text is going after a church that he loves he cannot ignore the issues that are present until so he goes after the issues in hope that they will walk in and be led by and live by the power of the Spirit of God and so that true transformation can come into their lives. So this, I believe, is a message of optimism. That believers, those that know Christ and that have experienced the indwelling Spirit can in fact be people of hope who are infectiously optimistic who, when they encounter someone in the world who is sincerely struggling and sharing their struggles with them, they stay in their life. They don't run because they can't fix it. Now, folks, I can tell you this as a pastor I have often sat in circumstances thinking, God, I have no idea what to tell this person. I don't know, I don't have practical, step by step advice for the situation that they find them in, but I do have hope. I do have hope that if they will yield themselves to the power of the indwelling Spirit of God, that they will experience, first of all, a new heart. They'll experience what the Bible calls conversion. The other word that's used is regeneration. Okay, John 3 and verse 3, Jesus said this to a religious man who was saying, you know something, I don't know. Jesus said this to him. He said, Nicodemus, unless one is born, what's the next word? Again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 7. What does Jesus say? Nicodemus, you must be born again. Okay, now, we live in a world where there are all kinds of people who wear that label, right? And when someone says to you at work, are you a born-again Christian? I am pretty certain that most of you don't say, yep, I am. I forget that most of you drift into qualification mode. Okay, well, yes, but here's what I mean. And I'll be honest with you, when someone asks me that question, my immediate response is, yes, but can I be clear with you about what that means? Okay? Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born anah, which means literally from above, which is a rebirth by the power of the Spirit of God. When He does what? He takes out the old heart that pumps out garbage, and He gives you a new heart that pumps out the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, that's what conversion is. So as Paul writes this letter and calls people to live by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, okay, he's doing it out of optimism that if God has changed your heart, you can live this new life. So it's important to me that first of all you understand the intended audience of Galatians 5.16. Live by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The intended audience is people who have already experienced something of a new birth in their hearts. They're, and people say, well, they're different. There's something fundamentally changed about their behavior. You could see it in their life. You could see it in their attitude. You could see it in their marriage. God has something happened to them. Okay, and the witness of a, of a, of a born-again or born-again, regenerated or converted Christian is what? God changed the matrix internally. He took out the old engine or the old manufacturing device that produced garbage and now He has put within me by the Spirit something new and alive. And the result is what you see in my life. And I can't take credit for it. Okay, and that's what's so beautiful about saying to someone, I have been clarifying born from above. That the Spirit of God has come in and changed, took out the heart that was insensitive and abrupt and harsh. And He's given me a heart that is increasingly sensitive. Okay, that's the audience that this text is addressed to. A birth by the Spirit. Now, look down to verse 25 of Galatians 5 and I want you to notice something. Okay, verse 25, he says this. Since we live by the Spirit. Okay? Living by here means have experienced a new birth, have been awakened from the dead. That's the idea. So, since we live by the Spirit, so that's the assumption in the context back in verse 16. So, I say live by the Spirit is clarified as you get down to verse 25. Okay? since we live by the Spirit, have experienced a change in our hearts by the Spirit, and then he's going to go to practical applications of that. The first thought I want you to notice is the message of this verse is addressed to those that have experienced new birth. So the question very obviously becomes this. Can you look back in your life and acknowledge that there was a time, a season in your life, when God was speaking and you were responding? to the call that Jesus gave boldly to Nicodemus. People say, well, that born-again terminology, that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. I'm sorry, it is. Jesus said you must be born again. Why? So that you can begin to experience an optimistic view of life that ultimately glorifies God. Okay, so the audience for this promise, live by the Spirit, and you will not be gratifying the desires of the sinful nature that aren't pretty. How do I experience that kind of change? Okay, first of all, I need to be born from above. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 9, Paul says this. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Okay, so the, the presence of the Spirit of God is the evidence of conversion first. And then over time, there will be a fruit of the Spirit that evidences that that claim to know the Spirit is in fact genuine. God never comes without changing a person. That's what being born again is all about. My pastor used to say it this way. He used to say, God train, changes your druthers. Okay? And the pastor said, I'd rather do that. He said, Well, God changes your druthers. Okay? He gives you new desires. It's evidence that the Spirit of God has been at work. And so I challenge you to do this. Look back in your life. Don't look back to a point of conversion. Look back to see if there has ever been evidence of the Spirit of God being at work, producing fruit, heart, and life change. It's how you know that you're experiencing His blessed work in your life. Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? Not by your effort. That's Paul's first thought. Secondly, what exactly is Paul promising here? Okay what is he promising when he says, "Live by the spirit and you will no longer gratify the desires of the flesh? And the idea of gratifying is the idea of you won't be doing the desires of the flesh they won't be that won't be the dominant tone of your life okay It's not to say that there's a promise here of perfection okay that produces pride and self sufficiency it, it, It's a sense in which the, the habits of your life will change. Do we ever, as Christians, experiencing, experience old habits? Look at verses 13 through 15. Okay? And please understand, this statement of hope is set in the context of reality, isn't it? Now, Paul understands the Christian life is a battle. And notice what he says in the verses that follow, verse 16. Okay? He says, walk, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Why, Paul? For verse 17, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Okay, no, all right. What did Paul do? He gave you a promise that produces optimism. Then what did he do? He gave you a warning. He gave you a warning. He gave you a call to stay close to the power of the Spirit of God. To maintain a vital relationship with God. Why? Because inside of every believer, there is a battle. I still live in something called skin and flesh. Or flesh and bones, however you want to say. Okay? My human nature still has desires that are out of sync with what God wants. And Paul recognizes that, doesn't he? He says, inside of you, you have a battle. And you face daily decisions in the context of that battle. For your flesh is saying, I want this. And the Spirit of God is saying, and this is the difference. Okay, If you know Christ, it's not just those unfettered desires seeking expression. It's also the Spirit of God saying, not that, this. Okay, And so later when Paul says, live by, walk by, be led by the Spirit, what is he saying? When that conflict emerges, when it shows up on the screen of your life, and there are two options in how you're going to respond to your wife in a situation of provocation. The Spirit of God is saying, that. And your flesh is saying, oh, I would rather do that. Okay, and when you yield to the Spirit in those situations, what happens? He begins to produce in your life a love for that. It feels good to do the right thing, doesn't it? When you experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you give a response in a situation of provocation, and you say, that was not my normal mode of expression. I would have normally done this, but I did this, what does that do? It doesn't, I hope it doesn't produce pride. If it's about your performance trying to gain God's approval, that's all it will produce. But if it is about a true acknowledgement that I am a broken sinner who would rather seek myself in my marriage relationship rather than my wife's needs and desires. Okay, those promptings to move, to shift in attitude, and to really make a change will be attributed to the power of the Spirit of God and will produce in you a brokenness and a deep gratitude that will make you a joy to be with. So Paul's a realist. Okay, he realizes that you and I live in a setting that is not free from conflict. But Paul is hopeful in this promise. And the sense in which Paul is hopeful is found in verse 18. Isn't this beautiful? There's this battle within you. That's reality. There's a conflict. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does that mean? It means that you're not doing the right things because I have to do it. It's law. Okay? You're doing the right things because you love God. And because you love God, you're beginning to love others. And what's happening? There's a transformation. It's not I have to be generous towards people in need. It's God is, by the Spirit, compelling me to loosen my grip on my financial resources so that others can benefit. God is compelling me not to be selfish in the context of a marriage. I can be this way. He's compelling me. He's convicting me. That that uncomfortable, don't do that, why'd you do that, is a gift from God. If I didn't have that restraint in my life, I'd run off the cliffs of the curvy road of life. I would. I thank God that He He prompts us and pricks us and and, and and calls us. Do this, don't do that. Okay, and that's that's the difference, is that when you became a Christian, you entered into a war. A war for the glory of God. A war to have a home, to have a marriage, to live in a workplace, in a way that glorifies God. And and, and it's not your flesh promptings, it's this additional voice of the presence of God in your life that is bringing about hope that tomorrow can, in fact, be a better day. And that the mistakes that I committed today, I don't have to commit those mistakes or sins today. God can bring freedom. God can bring deliverance. It's what the work of the Spirit comes to do. So what is it exactly that Paul is promising to believers, to those that have the Spirit? What exactly is he saying? Well, I think at one level he's saying this. You can experience... Progress, but not perfection. Okay, I think it's important you understand this. You can experience progress. And automatically, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, but over what? Well, you can experience victory and progress in your fight against the natural impulses of your flesh. And we all have them. Look in context, verse 19. And remember, the promise is, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you live by the Spirit, verse, verse 16, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So in your mind, you should be thinking, well, what is Paul talking about, these, these desires of the flesh? I mean, is he, is he living in the context of reality? Does he understand my struggles? That's the question you have to ask. As he calls them to change, th- okay, Paul, are you talking about my life? Can I encourage you to look at verses 19 and following? And ask yourself if the things that are listed here are anything like what happens in your life. These are strong statements. Okay? Please understand. As you read them, many of you think, well, I'm not like that bad in that area or I'm not that bad in this area okay and you might try to opt out of the list okay I want to read it for you so that it can be a means that God prompts you to realize you know what I do that I need God's help why does Paul listen he listed so that you can look in the mirror and say you know what Paul you got me nailed and what is Paul doing is he seeking to cause pessimism that you you can never change you're like this no it's in the context of saying if you yield to the spirit you're going to experience change And the list should be an encouragement to all of us. Because God can rescue people from any circumstance. God can transform any heart that is invaded by and converted by the Spirit. The acts of the flesh, the sinful nature, the tendencies within us are obvious. Paul says it is so clear. Sexual immorality. Have you ever experienced lust? Have you ever battled with that? How to battle with your eyes to keep your eyes pure. Impurity. Debauchery. Idolatry. Witchcraft. The next one hits really home, doesn't it? Hatred. Discord, which is simply confusion in relationships. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Wow. That one should ring true. Have you ever wanted to promote yourself and do what's better for you than others? Dissensions. Factions. Thankfully we live in a country where there are no factions. Break. Envy. You ever looked at what someone else has and says, you know what? I wish I had that instead of them. You know what that is? That is a wish that I could take what they have. I would never do it because I'm better than that. But I wouldn't mind if I had it instead of them. Drunkenness. Orgies. And then Paul very wisely says, in case you tried to slip all of those, which I hope you can't, I hope you are self-aware enough in the Spirit that you can see yourself in those pictures. Paul says, and the like. (laughs) What's he mean? He means the vast array, the kaleidoscope, of sinful tendencies that emerge in our heart, and so, have you ever caught yourself saying this? What was I thinking? you ever catch yourself doing that, where you're just like, "What? Okay, why? That's who I am?" Paul says, "I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God." Now, what is Paul saying? And Paul's saying, I think, is this. If you can read through that list and says I'm, and say, I'm this, this, and this, and I am fine with that. I don't care. Then Paul gives a warning. It's a warning to heed the voice of the Spirit. Those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's strong. That's direct. That's the truth. Okay, if God is not in the process on a daily basis of confronting simple tendencies in your life, you have to ask, is the Spirit of God present in my life bearing evidence to the fact that I have truly been converted by the Spirit of God. That's who this promise is for. It is a promise that progress, victory over these sins is possible, and that not does he simply want to stop bad behavior in your life, because for a lot of people, what do they want? They just wish they would stop doing the things in that list, or even anything that looks like it, and, you know, as Paul says at the end, and things like this. We just You know, it would be nice if my life didn't have those things in it. Is that true? Well, let me say it this way, okay? We often want to define the Christian life by what we don't do. Okay? And we, we settle for a weak version of Christianity, for a weak model of Christian living that says something like this Christians are people who stop doing these things. Okay? In other words, if I stop doing those things, am I then a good witness of Christ? Okay, in other words, can you define something by negatives and come up with a fundamental understanding of what it is? Does that make sense? Because a lot of times in the context I was raised in, which was a good church, biblical, but a little legalistic, and sometimes you would think my Christianity is defined by the people I don't hang with, it's defined by the things that I don't do, And I think Paul would fly in the face of that and say something like this. said this to someone recently. Okay, I could say that cantaloupes don't do all those things. Right? But it doesn't make a cantaloupe a Christian because it doesn't do those things. Does that make sense? Okay, a Christian is someone who is so filled by and governed by the Spirit of God that verse 22 becomes true of them. So the evidence of of, of the flesh are what? Paul gives a list of them. But then he goes on in verse 22 to say, but the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, which is to say what? Here's optimism. The first part of the list is what? It's pessimistic. It's negative. I don't want that stuff in my life. What is Paul saying? If you're led by the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, keep in step with Him, keep in touch with Him, what's going to happen? Well, verse 22 is the answer. The evidence of the Spirit's presence. The things that tell people around you, you're a Christian, are not negatives. They're not the things you don't do. It's the things that the Spirit of God is producing in you, which is love. Well, if I can go back to verse 15, Paul said, here's the law, love your neighbor as yourself. Be generous. Be self-effacing. Be sacrificial. Be loving. Where does that come from? It comes from the Spirit of God. In contrast to the previous verses, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I could say to anyone in this room looking for a mate, there's a good list. Find someone like that and you will be on your path to happiness. Find someone who wants those kinds of things in their life. Find employees like that. Find neighbors like that. Go to do a survey before you buy a new house. Ask the people, are you like this? Because if they are, I would love to have them as my neighbor. What is it? it it's, just, it's the stuff that grows in their life. It's the evidence that God is present. And Paul's saying, I am optimistic that if you walk by the Spirit or led by the Spirit or filled by the Spirit, He is going to begin to do amazing things in your life. That fruit is evidence that it is a Christian life. I have trees in my backyard. I am absolutely certain that they are walnut trees. Now, you can call me arrogant, you can call me whatever you want to call me for saying that. I know they're walnut trees. Okay? Because I've driven my mower around in the backyard, and that thing's knocked me on the head. Okay? And I pick them up, they're walnuts. Okay? How do I know they're walnut trees? There's walnuts all over the place. They assault me in my backyard. I don't don't ever go back there and say, but I wonder if there's still walnut trees. Every fall, starting in August through the month of November, I have a constant reminder. And then when I go to work in my garden in the spring, I have empty reminders all over my garden from the local squirrels that bury them in there and come in and eat them in my garden. I know they're walnut trees. Why? They produce walnuts. Do the people that live in your sphere of influence know that you're a Christian? And the answer is simple. If you're led by the Spirit, they will know. Because God will be killing off the deeds of the flesh. And God will be cultivating in your life things that will make your life more fulfilling and more full of joy. And and, and what I what I love in this text, and this is just this is just to me so powerful. Paul says in verse twenty three, gentleness, self-control. And then he says this amazing statement. He says, against those things there is no law. There is nothing in your heart that will rebuke you, that will cause you to feel guilty when you live by the Spirit and He produces that kind of stuff. Because what are we sacrificing when we live by the flesh for selfish ambition? We're sacrificing the joyful fruit of the Spirit of God that He wants to produce in our life. I would say that someone that knows God who does that is foolish. And sometimes I will say, I have played the fool. Wanting what I want at the expense Of the things that God wants to produce in your life. That don't produce guilt. They produce joy. They're a blessing. They're a benefit. People want you to be their neighbor. People wish that their mate was like you. Why? Because they they see attributes. They see characteristics. They see beautiful qualities. That against them there there is no rebuke for those things. That's what God wants to do. Paul, I think, is decidedly optimistic that God by His powerful grace, can strip you of the negative things, of the sinful things, and raise you up as a Christian who bears the fruit of the Spirit. If, if, I will have the courage to walk by the Spirit. Now, that progress and that fruit that Paul is talking about requires cooperation and effort on our part. Okay? Okay? Cooperation in this sense, okay? That when God speaks, we listen. And after we've listened, we obey. Folks, I'm not talking about rocket science. I'm talking about something that I think would be transformational in the life of Christians. If we simply did the things that God puts on our hearts to do, instead of delaying, instead of excusing, if we would just... Begin to do the things that God puts on your heart as you spend time with Him. And as you listen to Him throughout the day, and you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ, as you bear one another's burdens, if we would just be people who say, God, you speak it, and I will do it. I love uh, the GPS. I've actually had a conversion experience in relationship to my GPS. Okay? I used to ignore it. I've learned to listen to it. When we went down to West Virginia, we listened to it. Okay, You ignore it at your own peril and you waste numerous hours if you ignore it in a setting like that. Okay, What does it do? It prompts you. Does it turn the wheel of your car? No. Does it tell you where to go? Yes. And Most of the time, if you listen, you'll find that your driving experience is a lot less frustrating. And the same thing is true in the Christian life. The Spirit of God is a speaking spirit. He is a prompting Spirit. He is a convicting Spirit. He is a clarifying Spirit. He is a calling Spirit. The key is not whether God is speaking by the Spirit. The key to successful Christian living, the key to a fruitful life that glorifies God, the key to being optimistic about your Christian experience is not, is my day tomorrow going to be full of good circumstances? The key is tomorrow. Will I yield My life, my choices, my decisions to the promptings of the Spirit of God. That's the key. Now, what's the problem? The problem is that most of us don't take time to listen to the Spirit of God who is speaking. We're like the guy on the old TV show in the 60s who's spinning plates on sticks. If you're old enough, you know what I'm talking about. Right? guy used to have eight or nine sticks. Start with one, spin a plate real fast, and he could let go of it, and it would stay by itself, right? And he'd go over here, and he'd start another one. He'd spin it, and it would stay. And he'd turn, he'd go over here, and once he got to about number six, what was happening to stick number one? Starting to wobble, and what was happening? People all across America are screaming at their TV, right? Telling them this one. He'd quick go over and he'd get that one spinning. And he put another one on there, well, this one over here, and everybody, you, you, you're as you're watching you're like, "Ah, it's like a train wreck, right? Because you know when those ceramics plates hit the deck, what's going to happen? They're going to be destroyed and lost, okay? That's how my life looks a lot of times, right There's my Bible <laughs> And guess what? When you're that preoccupied with the busyness that you erect in your life, you can't hear God. You can His voice is faint. It's there because you've trusted and the Spirit of God is there. The, the deeds of the flesh are, in a sense, subsiding. But the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is not apparent. It's there, but it is so small. You almost have to point it out to people and to yourself. You know what God wants? God wants an optimistic church that says live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And as you kill off sin in your life, what begins to happen? The fruit of the Spirit flows in a yielded life. And Paul uses three analogies here. Verse 16, live by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Listen, listen. And when He prompts, go there. Don't second-guess God. Second-guess yourself all the time. Don't second-guess God. Verse 25, let us keep in step. With, if you live by Him, if He has changed your heart and given you joy in your life and freedom over sin, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And what, will you, what you will begin to experience is a beautiful dance with God. I thought to myself, watch people dance, and I think to myself, I would love to dance like that. Good Why? But well, it looks so fun. Have you ever been around Victor and Diana Kelly? They're swingers, okay? I mean, they dance, and they're good. Watched the son and daughter at the wedding, and I was like, wow. I was envying and jealous, and what were they doing? They were keeping in step with each other. Folks, we can't all do that physically. But we can all do that dance with God. And it is is a means by which we follow His lead. The key in a beautiful dance is that someone follows and someone leads. You know what my problem is? I try to lead my life. And I keep stepping all over God's feet and stumbling and falling. Paul cries to this church that is full of difficult, troubling things and ultimately a distortion of the gospel. Because when you're messed up, you know what you think the solution is? I've got to reform. I've got to change my life. Oh, no, you don't. You need the Spirit of God. You need to let Him flow freely in your life so that as Jesus says in John chapter 7, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This He spoke of the Spirit. Folks, what God wants to do in every church in this county and in our nation and in our world, what God wants to do is flow through the lives of devoted, surrendered believers who are sick of sin and who crave the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know why God used the fruit as the analogy in this text. a lot of other things He could have used. But it's what He chose. Okay, Because fruit is fresh, it's luscious, it's beautiful, it's delightful. It brings satisfaction to all normal people. Okay, and I know that. I look at it and I say, Man, I wish I loved that. But I know it's better if I don't I I wish I did though. Wouldn't it be awesome if the world around us would look at our lives and say, you know what? I want what Corey Mose has in his life. I want that. I want what Ellen Hoyt, my medical student partner. I want what she has. Because they see it. And that there would be a jealousy on their part that would call them to want what God has and to crave it and to find it by the Spirit. Can we live that kind of life? I mean, if you're characterized by the things of verses 19 through 21, I guarantee you this you want out. You want out. How do you get there? You flee to the Spirit of God and you say, Spirit of God, change my heart. I give up my trying. I give up my personal human efforts. I surrender everything to You. Fill me. Change me. Convert me. Make me born from above so that my life is different and is attractive and that serves You until the day that You come. Live by. Walk by. Keep in step with the Spirit. And you will find a decrease in sin and an increase in the fruit of righteousness. And you will become an optimistic Christian in a pessimistic world. And people will come and say, okay, Phil, why are you that way? Veronica, why are you that way? Where is that coming from? Father, help us.